Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Behold, this is also is vanity. A set of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still, uh, uh, gu- excuse me, guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves in, in regards to servants who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of the kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us uh, (coughs) through your word. Lord, I pray that you would be with the pastor preacher's mouth. Uh, Lord God, I pray that you would um, carry on through the Holy Spirit, Lord God, uh, work in the lives of people that are here in ways that no man can. So Lord, we pray that your word would not go void and it would not depart from us and we would not depart from it. We ask these things for your glory, Lord God, for our joy and the good of a lost and dying world. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. So this morning, we are continuing through this, uh, and I love, John, that you kind of brought that back. This is a very depressing book for those who do not know Christ, those who do not have the hope of glory in the gospel of Christ, in relationship with Christ. It can become a very depressing book, but this is no depressing book, and, and that's something you'll hear me say throughout the entirety of this book together. Brothers and sisters, as we read this, there is very much cause for joy. There's lots of cause for joy in this book. This morning's uh, sermon title is The Shallowness of Earthly Hedonism. The Shallowness of Earthly Hedonism. Now, as I look at this text this morning, I thought of how to open up. And so, uh, one of the things that I have uh, uh, noticed uh, is something in my, how many of you, how many of y'all know that I like hunting? Anybody know that? Well, that's something you might want to know about me. I love hunting. I love the outdoors. I love doing those type of things. This is what I've learned in not just science, but in observation. Uh, there's a picture. Go ahead. You can hit that picture if you want to. Uh, my son and I, or all my children actually, when at a certain age, even Elizabeth went out hunting with Daddy, right? She just won't pull the trigger. She, Bambi is too beautiful for her. That's okay. That's okay. Elijah, he has no problems. And so one of the things, specifically when we lived in Iowa, Elijah and I and Josiah specifically, we two boys, we three guys, we've done a lot of hunting together. And Elijah is oftentimes, sometimes, sometimes he's videoing, sometimes I'm videoing, and we're bow hunting or whatever type of hunting that is. 
But one of the things that I was trying to teach him, how many of you guys know uh, about the birds and the bees? All right? You better be raising your hand, you adults. Figure this thing out quick, right? So the thing about the birds and the bees is it's interesting that when my son is like right at this age, he's like, what, about 12 and 13 here, maybe a little bit 12-ish. But anyway, the thing is, it's from the tree stand, my son has learned a lot about the birds and the bees. Every year, something happens with deer, and it's a glorious time of the year. It's almost like Christmas. They go into what is known as the rut. And the rut is uh, these boy deers, deer, deers, deer, <laughs> plural, they get stupid, right? They get dumb. Now, why do they get dumb? Because the girls are saying, would you like to be my boyfriend? And most of the time, the girls are running all over the place because they don't want the one that they got chasing them. And they can't help it. In the, let me tell you something. In the, listen, women, men, stop for a second. I need to say something to you women. Uh, when I look at what happens to those poor old doe in deer season, I really, I really, I'm really, y'all have my heart. Y'all have my heart. These poor does are running all over the place trying to get away from these nasty old men deer, right? And all the men deer have is one thing in their minds. It is gross. And the thing is, is that when you're sitting in a tree stand at this time of the year, it's like you see the signs, you can't wait for the rut to happen, and these deer, these deer, deer are nocturnal, by, actually by nature, so they, they, they do that for safety reasons, they like to travel at night. Well, when, when it comes rut time, uh, deer that are male, they just don't care anymore. They're like, where's she at? They stop, they got, they smell danger, their brains don't even turn on, run, no they don't, they go, see her. They will, they will find, they will follow her wherever she goes. And she's not paying attention either of the danger. The danger is the guy who's chasing her. And the sad reality is, here's the sad reality. All this work and all this frenzy that these, these deer have, male deer specifically, to continue to, to mate, to get what they desire, and all of that for those deer to end up like this. Right? Next picture. You got it? There it is. There it is. The life of the deer. In my world, that's the life of a deer. They go, they run, they chase, they get what they want. It happened, and then... Whoosh, pop, pop. There has been moments that literally Elijah and I, if you can remember, they literally... Deer mating finished arrow to end up on my wall. This... This is meaningless, brothers and sisters. Now, don't get me wrong. That's real art. That's really art. That's real art. I try to say my wife doesn't agree that that's real art. That's why they're in my office, and she never lets me put them in my house. She has no class, right? She is, oh, she's so snooty. The thing is, is that hunters, hunters in this regard sometimes are the same way. I watch hunters get really excited about the rut, they get really excited about last year's deer. Maybe they put it on the wall as a trophy. And guess what happens when the next season comes? They forget all about last year's deer. Now what's on their mind? This year's deer. It's the continual pursuit of something that we need. Well, see, this last week we learned how Solomon tried to gain purpose, how he tried to gain joy and meaning uh, with his, uh, the use of the mind, intellect, and study. And we learned that such a pursuit only led to further vexation and sorrow, if you remember, for Solomon. Now, Solomon seeks to gain such through other means. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, if you're with us in a visitor and you don't have a Bible or own a Bible, 
Still one of ours. It's yours as a gift. Just take it. It's somewhere in one of these seats, we want you to have a Bible if you don't have one uh, when, by the time you leave here today. But look with me in verse 1. Verse 1. The writer of the book says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. You see, here we see Solomon speaking and having discourse with himself. He says in our text, come now. Come now. And look what he says, let us try something different. You see, we have sought wisdom and it has failed us. Now let us try the physical, that which your uh, fingers can touch, what your uh, hands can behold, that which you can uh, experience through the, the faculties of the flesh, the senses. We see this in the use of the word test there in verse 1. Come now, if you see there in your text, it says, I will test. The word test suggests that Solomon was underway on an experiment. And just like the, if you, if you learn anything about science and the, science, the scientific order of how to study a thing, often what is worthwhile in an experiment is experience and observation. It is of vital importance. So here you have Solomon. You can rest assured Solomon throws his whole person into this test of the physical pleasures of earthly living. He said, I'll put that to the test. I'll, I'll jump in on that experiment. The pleasures that we have in our text, they're given to us right here this morning. We're going to look at them in just a second. However, one of the things that stands out to me in introduction before we get into those is when it says, if you look with me there, enjoy yourself. Solomon says, come. Now, we've done these things. Let's, let's just uh, let's try enjoying ourselves or myself. Enjoy yourself. He's speaking to himself. Interestingly, Solomon's search for joy and purpose and happiness was, had, had little to nothing to do with God, his name, and the glory in the least. This is not even an issue in Solomon's pursuit. We'll see that in a minute. Brothers and sisters simply stated, here we see how Solomon becomes a, you can write this name, word down, we're going to look at it a little bit, a hedonist. He's a hedonist. His only aim is to enjoy himself and his heart's lust for pleasure with no thought whatsoever to God or anyone else. And it will be on full display in this morning's text as we read this together. The question is that you may ask, Kyle, how do you know this? Well, I know this because of what I see in the text. If you look in the text, it is interesting. There are several reasons, but most of it's textual. The word I, if you just look at the text, you might just scan and see several eyes, feel your eyes just by looking. The word I in these 11 verses are used 18 times. The word me, or excuse me, my, is used 13 times. The word me is used four times. The word myself is used four times. So in 11 verses this morning, the writer, whom I believe is Solomon, has a lot of self-focus involved. In 11 verses, he's talking of himself 39 times. Hello. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure and or sensual self-indulgence. The ethical theory that pleasure 
in the sense of uh, being sat, uh, having satisfaction or desire of desires, is the highest good and proper aim of human life. Some of the synonyms for this word, hedonism, would be self-indulgence, pleasure-seeking, and self-gratification. Have you ever heard the mantra, eat, sleep, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? Man, is that not a mantra even today? Eat, sleep, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we turn to the earth. No hope after death. The atheist claims to believe that there is nothing here. We are just mat- object matter. We are here for a time. We die, and that is it. Who wants to follow that? No hope. Just rational, so they say. See, whenever we have been tempted, uh, he has been, he was, meaning Solomon was tempted to indulge in fleshly pleasure, he gave in. He denied himself nothing, nothing visibly entertaining or outwardly, inwardly satisfying, Listen, the whole list shows exactly Solomon's heart. If you want to know, did Solomon live his life for the glory of God, at least in this moment of his life, the answer to that, and I'm going to tell you right now, is a resounding no. And it's pretty simple to understand when you see what we, we, we have before us. So y'all ready? Four of them. Number one. Some of these will go quicker than others. Number one is laughter. Laughter. We see that in verse two. And it says in verse two, I said of laughter, listen to this, this is, I said of laughter, it is what? It's, it's mad. It's crazy. And of pleasure, what use is it? What he says in verse 2, laughter is the greatest medicine, Solomon said, never. No. You know, have you ever seen Patch Adams? Remember the movie Robin Williams, bringing healing and hope? It was, it's a good movie. I actually kind of like the, the, the idea. But Solomon says, nah, uh-uh. I've laughed a lot, and, and it's not healing anything. See, Kyle Schiff personally loves laughter. Love it. And I would call laughter a holy and glorious gift from God. I would. However, here, Solomon is speaking of a certain kind of laughter, a certain type of laughter. It's a worldly laughter which derives its strength from frivolity, frivolity that oftentimes, maybe even God's word, the Lord hates. A laughing at those things which do not amuse God in the least. Uh, let me give you a, a, a text here from Jeremiah 6, 14 through 15. And it says there, this is, he's talking about the priests and the prophets of that day. He says, a prophet and priest alike do these things. He says, they dress the wound of my people, he's speaking of God's people, as though it were not serious. There's something going on that God has a word to speak for the nation of Israel during Jeremiah's time. He said that there's a word to speak and they dress it up. They dress, they dress it up to make it, to make it not so harsh. He says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable? God says, are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. There becomes a real problem, church, listen to me, for the church and the people of God, that when we begin to laugh at and sneer at the very things, and I don't mean that in the negative sense, I mean in the positive, sneer and laugh at something, that we... And the wisdom and the knowledge of Almighty God and His glory have no business laughing at. 
no law, no, have no business acting as if though it's not serious. When the people of God have that mechanism to, that they no longer blush, is no long, it's not a good thing in the life of the church. Laughter is a sign of enjoyment. However, where your enjoyment comes means something as well. Believe it or not, those things that draw outward laughter from you is a view of your heart's delights. Something is before me. I, I think of my kids. Uh, Judson, he's got this way about him. He just says things, and the stuff he does, it just makes us all laugh. He's like, he just makes us laugh all the time. And my heart's delight is to see him, his personality come out, and then we just start laughing sometimes. What we laugh at, what we enjoy, what, what comes, what brings the smile upon our face shows an aspect of our heart's delight. I think of this, and I'm, I'm not trying to get political or anything. This is, this is biblical stuff. This is, this is the reality of the matter. I remember growing up when, uh, when Ellen DeGeneres first had her, her, her TV show. It tells you how long ago that was. And she had her TV show, and she was making waves, and I thought of Will and Grace, and I was thinking about a lot of different things that were coming on TV at that time where literally they, the, the idea was to make a, a kind of the culture laugh, laugh at or with, uh, not laugh at, but like uh, laugh as if they're like homosexuality is this thing that shouldn't be detested. Or, uh, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, but just like you can't speak out. You, you should not say that that's wrong. You cannot say that that's a sin or that's against God's ultimate purpose and design. So what I, I, knew, I knew people growing up in the church, like, I'm glad that they didn't like, Go after people, that's horrible. But the thing was, we began to laugh. And what did laugh become? Laugh became an acceptance. Now we no longer laugh, and now we no longer say anything is right or wrong. We just kind of accepted it. I believe that the acceptance of these things came by way of laughter. A little wink, a little frivolity, a little I don't, ha, ha, ha. You men... Specifically, this goes for women too, but let me say something about guys a lot of times. We get caught up in this a lot because maybe you women have different objects and things that you kind of struggle with. I'm going to say something about men sometimes. Uh, sometimes men, uh, maybe, what about those moments where you're like, I don't know. I remember back when I was in sports and I was in the locker room, but this happens at the workplace. They can, listen, this is going to happen in the church. When someone says that joke or that thing that's off color or off-putting, and what do we do for the sake of not being looked at as a, a prude, we laugh at the thing that had no business with us laughing at. Laughter sometimes is a sense of giving uh, uh, credibility to what was just spoken. A bad joke, something done in taste or out of color. And we go, we say something, we hear it, and so we don't want to look like the prude or we don't want to make someone feel a certain way. We <laughs> Inwardly, we may not have believed anything that our mouths just said. Brothers and sisters, listen. I said of laughter, it is mad, it is a pleasure. What use is, of, is it? What, what we laugh at, hopefully it's not the crude or the obscene or the worldly. The question is, would Jesus Christ laugh with you at that thing spoken? The Solomon, Solomon says, look, laughter, and I think that in the context is a negative sort of laughter, but even if it's positive in nature, uh, uh, you'll see the great equalizer destroys our laughter. I'll see that in a minute. But number two, number one is laughter. Number two is wine and strong drink. We see this in verse three. I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom and how, how to lay hold on folly. I'll explain that in a minute. This is a really interesting one. 
till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Here it is for the use of, listen, it's not alcohol. Someone asked me this week, hey, Pastor Kyle, this, this, this. Uh, I, have a, I have a wine every once in a while. I, I drink a beer with this. Thing. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about legalistic, you know, uh, stay away from. The, the, the text here, what we're seeing is, is, a, is a drinking to an ex- excess, a drinking to the point of getting drunk, a drinking to get, uh, to get a little cheer in your life, a drinking to take your mind away from the things that are struggling, that you're struggling with. It is saying, stay, it, it does not do anything good for you. This is what Solomon would have used the wine and strong drink for. And he says here, it brought to me no lasting meaning. In fact, wine, strong drink, and the use of it in such a way, made him even more a hedonist. Let me, let me say, look what it says in the text. And how to lay hold on folly. In other words, look. When, the more I drank for celebration purposes or partying, for the sake of getting drunk, or for the sake of depression, drink, so I can get all my, these things taken away. What he says is, look, when I drank, I learned even more. I still had my wisdom, but through drink, how to lay hold on folly. See, when you drink to a point of excess, you lose what? Control. The thing that should probably have kept him his wisdom away from things that were going to trouble him or hurt him somehow or another through the use of the means of drinking caused him to do stupider things, more dumb stuff. Can I get an amen? Or is it just me? I sh- listen, I, part of my, my history and how I came to Christ was through alcoholism. I've been in AA, in Narcotics Anonymous. I've sat in those meetings in those groups. may not have known that about your pastor. It's true. The funny thing to me is, he says, look, in my wisdom, I didn't, I went to drinking, and when I went to drinking, I didn't dumb stuff. I learned how to lay on folly all the more. Then he says here, the few days of my life. That's interesting. It shows his contempt that the author has towards life this side of heaven. That's number two. Laughter brought nothing to me. Wine and strong drink. Number three, possessions and aesthetics. Verses 4 through 8, you see. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water and the forest of growing trees. I I bought male and female slaves, uh, servants, and have uh, slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had ever had before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. Solomon, Solomon's life was the lifestyle of the rich and famous. I'm dating myself. Remember the 80s? Lifestyles. I used to love that, you know. On steroids, you older people. Solomon was accustomed to the good life, the finer things of life, high-end. Money was never an issue for what he desired. Solomon says fine art, sculptors, gardens, pools, furniture, check. Solomon says, Solomon's, Solomon says, I have a house in Vail. I have a vacation home in Hawaii. I have a penthouse apartment in France. Check. Now, somebody in here, is, you're, that, you're that person who's like a literalist. He's like, that's not in the Bible. You know what I mean, right? He had, he had houses galore. 
He had servants for every whim and work. Hey, I think I would like a massage today. Somebody rub my feet, wash my clothes. I need someone to go get my dry cleaning. A very rare commodity in this day were those who were able to hear and experience music. He didn't have Alexa. Play this or, or this or that. If I hear something go bing and it's Alexa, I'm going to go crazy. Don't ever name your child Alexa, okay? It's horrible today. It was something that was uh, a commodity. And you know what the funny thing is? Is that Solomon had the greatest and biggest stereo system in Jerusalem. Because literally what he did was if he had a favorite band or a favorite musician, or if he, he would just, he had them on speed dial, brothers and sisters. Beep, 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 beep. Hey, I'm feeling like I want some music right now. Yeah, come on down here right now and play for me. Front row seat to his favorite bands any time he wanted them. And how could he afford all of this? Well, of course, it was money. We see that right here. It says the treasures of kings and provinces is what Solomon possessed. So rich, in fact, that the scripture says Solomon used silver and gold. Silver and gold as if he was picking up rocks on the streets of Jerusalem and going, "Uh, yeah, I'll pay with this. I'd like to have that. Here's some, like just picking up rocks and paying with them. We see this, 2 Chronicles 1.15. Listen to this. And the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar, which is the very best of the wood, as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah, which is a very poor wood. He's making, he's, he's, he's doing cedar and gold and silver the way that we would do rocks and that old dogwood over there in, in, the, in, the, in the forest. Number four, sexual activity. We see this in verse 8b, and we'll see this in 10a. 8b says, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Verse 10a says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. The, the word concubines is a crude reference to women who are used for sexual pleasure alone. Solomon woke up every morning with a different woman. Solomon's appetite could have even been even more despicably sexual in nature given his propensity to lose all control in the consumption of alcoholism or alcohol. He says in the text, I kept my heart from no pleasure. In other words, if Solomon could think it, whether he was in his wisdom or even in his drunken stupor, if he could conceive it in his mind, guess what Solomon did, brothers and sisters? He did it. He kept himself back from no pleasure whatsoever. They can be contrived by the thoughts of man. Now, this is very important. This compromise of the covenant is what led to his spiritual downfall and divided the kingdom, which perhaps explains why it is listed last among his pleasure experiences in our text this morning, possibly. You can see this in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 3. Listen to this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite. Misty, how do you say that again? Edomite. I was saying this today, and she's like, Edomite? I was going, Edomite. And she's like, Edomite. Okay. Sidonian and the Hittite women. 
from the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the people of Israel. Listen, God says, I say to the people, I said this. God says, I'm saying this. You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. I'm going to be honest with you right now, guys. I'm going to be honest with you about this. If my wife ever left me, I'm going with her. (laughs) It's the truth. If Misty ever left me, I'm leaving with her. And by the way, if someone says, hey, turn that thing in for a younger model, forget that mess. You and I, girl, we've seen too much. We, hey, listen, listen, you're like a fine wine, baby. You're good, right? We've, we've, we've done, I don't want to trade her in for nobody, right? Amen? I got some amen from some women. Some of you men, you need to get right with God, right? Man, Misty's good for me. And I'm going to be honest with you. My wife is full of blessings and, and, and goodness and sunbeams and rainbows and flowers and kitty cat feelings. She makes it, but listen, she ain't easy either. Because she's a daughter of, well, you're not kind of a daughter, right? You're, 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 you're Eve. <laughs> you're, a, you're a daughter of Eve. So she's sinful. She's so sinful, in fact, I don't want two of her. I'm so sinful, in fact, she asks herself, why did I ever get married? So you see how that works out, all right? The thing is, guys, the question here is, was this all in the pleasure and the glory of God? Well, the things that we just read about Solomon in 2 through 11, all for God's glory and his fame, the answer to that, you understand it well, is no. No. And yet, what was the result of this experiment? Solomon found pleasure. What was the result? The result is he found what he was looking for. He did. Listen, it all worked out for him. Seriously, you're saying, are you serious, God? Are you really saying that right now? No, look with me in verse 10. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Brothers and sisters, listen, Solomon reached the top of that mountain. He placed his flag there. It waves. He did exactly what he desired to do. But then he looks down on all sides of the mountain. He looks, is there anything else to conquer? Is there anything else for my mind to to experience, my hands to have, anything else that I can buy with all that I have? And he looks down, and then he says something in verse 11 that is very, very important. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The word here in our verse, in verse 11, for considered, it comes from the Hebrew word for consider, panah. It means to face or to look something right in the eyes. I like that. Here he is in old age, looking back at his life. He looks at his life in the eyeballs, looking straight in the eyes, and he says, it meant nothing. Not to mention, he's looking something else in the eyes that we saw last week. Now the aging Solomon is faced with the reality of death and the end of his earthly life. He now has far more days behind him than he has in front of him, and he discovers all was for nothing. In the end, it it had not given his life meaning or lasting happiness. As he prepares to stand before God in death, 
What had he to show for his life but self-seeking pleasure, which brought no glory to God in the least? You know where I'm going with this, guys, right? You hear what I'm saying? I want to give you, I want to give you a, a visual before I close. Now, my son, we, we're, we like sports in our house. Elijah has a hard time watching this because he said it's just so sad. So I want you all to watch this. Go ahead and get the volume up for it, and then um, I'll watch this, and then I'll have something to say at the end of it. Restaurants, if I have the energy to deal with, you know, put an happy face on, sometimes I don't feel like that. Now, you seem a bit the reluctant star. Well, the problem is it's you can't have one without the other. You can't have the football fame and not the other stuff. So in a lot of ways, I've created this myself. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. The most eligible bachelor in America. Well, it's very flattering. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think I sleep any better at night being that. No way. Do you mean like alone or not alone? <laughs> what did you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... Me, I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football, and I love being the quarterback for this team. And But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Brothers and sisters, that is not all that there is, praise God, amen? What if this dissatisfaction in life is really pointing us to something greater beyond this world? What if the thing that Tom Brady, brothers and sisters, when, he, when that video was taken, that was years, that was like a decade ago, he had three Super Bowl rings. Do you know how many he has now? Seven. They asked Tom Brady recently, what's your favorite ring out of all of them? He says, the next one. I don't know if you know this about Tom Brady, but he's considered the GOAT, Right? He's going down as one of the greatest, if, no, one of the, if not the greatest football player of all time. I don't think anybody will ever be able to reach that again. He's married to a supermodel. He has a beautiful family. This year, he retired. Did y'all know that he retired from football? And it lasted a month. He's back now. He said, the, ask, the question was asked, is there anything more than all this? And it is ironic to me that Tom Brady said, God, I hope so. If I could have been there, I said, Tom, you just said it. Before you said, I hope so, you said, God. It's God. It's him. My son was on the couch as I was watching that, preparing it. And he's like, I hate that clip because <laughs> it is sad. Listen, Ecclesiastes does not show us all, all of this, all this, to be more discouraged and depressed in this room, but to drive us back to God. The greatest treasure in hope, far from being a taking book. Ecclesiastes is not a taking book, brothers and sisters. It is a good gift-giving book. Ecclesiastes gives back. The Westminster Confessional 
The catechism says, the question is, what is the chief, man's chief end, or what is the chief end of man? And the answer in the catechism is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Brady is still searching, and that is sad. John Piper, in his book, uh, Desiring God, in 1984, penned something, and he said this. He, he calls it Christian hedonism, the pleasure seeker. Listen, hedonism we, we consider is bad, right? It's a pleasure seeker. It's not bad if you're a Christian hedonist. If you're a pleasure seeker that seeks your pleasure in God, in Christ This is the true and proper way to pursue joy. He says, God is most glorified in us, which means God gets big, big, big worship from us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us in this room when we are most satisfied in him in regards to all the earthly realities. Ecclesiastes is a pleasure-giving book. Ecclesiastes is a book that seeks to point your attention to the eternal storehouse of ultimate and lasting joy, a joy found in the glory of God, in his character, in his attribute, and in his being. And our involvement, which is to have true purpose, is to be found in loving and enjoying these realities for all eternity. We will love him and worship him and find our joy for him for all eternity, and that starts this side of heaven. It is to be found, and it is here in Christ. Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13, John 4, 13 through 14, say say this. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God in Christ Jesus and the gospel offers us a vessel that holds it all intact. There is no leak. There is no, the, the lid is, you can't spill it. He gives it to us. And what it says in the text is this, that man has taken that which God has given us, placed it to the side, and went to work at making his own vessel. It's leaky. It's cracked. It will not supply. And we walk around with the water as if it's going to fill us, but it can't because it's made with our human hands cannot contain and hold he says two great evils they've forsaken me and they've hewn for for themselves cisterns that can hold no water and lastly jesus uh, john 4 13 through 14 jesus said to her and in the woman at the well if you remember this everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will never be thirsty again the waters that i will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life solomon we learned this morning was a hedonist, a pleasure seeker. However, truthfully, his problem is not so much an issue with the strengths of his desires, but the weakness of them. Sadly, Solomon had not a desire for the glory, the fame, and the name of God who had blessed him. And listen to me, church. If you do not treasure Christ, if it has nothing to do with his worth and beauty, however, everything to do with your appetite and your love's affections, what does your heart long for? C.S. Lewis said this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a, of a holiday at the sea. Listen to this. We are far too easily pleased. 
you were not made in the gospel of Jesus Christ to eat the scraps from the master's table. God, in his infinite love and mercy, calls and beckons his children to come sit at the big boy table and eat the choicest of meat. Amen? And that is only through Jesus Christ, our mediator. In other words, your desires for the great things, your desires for the great things that God is offering you are maybe too small. Your problem, most people's problem, is not big desires for small things. Most individuals' problems are small desires for big things. God, his glory, and the fame of his name in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here is my conclusion. Listen to me. Solomon's entire list in his pleasure experiment are actually divine gifts. Listen to me that are meant to be enjoyed. Be careful. I'm going to end on this. So please listen. Kyle said all those other things are bad. No, he did not. God created all things that are good, and he gives good gifts to his children. Amen? But he who created and gifts is the one who gets to dictate and determine. Man doesn't get to do that. So I want you to know something really quick. In other words, what Pastor Kyle is telling you is that sex and wine and money and laughter, nature and beauty are all good gifts from God. Amen? Amen. But only when understood and followed by God's direction, his design, and for his glory. He made it. He gets to dictate it. Amen? So it's obedience to what God has called us to do. What I want you to know this morning is this. God is not a spoil sport. He is not trying to take away any pleasure away from you, but to give us exactly what is best for us. I might leave here today, and my kids are going to want to eat chocolate and candy. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And I want to give them good things. Chocolate and candy, good. Can I get an amen? It is good. But not when it comes to the fact that you're going to be throwing up in the bathroom in two minutes. Sometimes the no is a good understanding of the gift that is trying to be received. God knows the infinite end to all things. And when God says no and stop, he means it for a reason. One, he's God. But number two, could it be possibly he loves you? Have you really stopped to think about it, church? God loves you enough to say stop. God loves Solomon enough to say no 700, 300 concubine wives and what, what? Don't do it. I'm wise, dummy. God's way is the best way. (laughs) Picture of the situation in the Garden of Eden. If you remember, I'll take you back there and then I'll close. Adam and Eve had everything, their eyes and everything that their hearts could have. Desire. Even so much as having a good relationship with God, walking with him in the cool of the day, no separation. Temptation came. You know the story well. Did God really say not to eat of this? Because God knows that when you do, then really, really, what did, what did Satan do? He put in Adam and Eve's mind this idea that God is keeping something good from you. And it's been the greatest and largest lie throughout the history of mankind. You know, God was keeping them from it because he had what was best for them. And they, you know the story and how it goes down. No, God was seeking to keep you from something bad, not keep you from something good. God is not keeping anything back from you. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. He is not. 
He is seeking to help you understand what is best and lasting. It is him, it is Christ Jesus. The problem for Solomon and for any one of us is when we start to separate the gifts from God from the gift of God himself. Store for yourselves up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot uh, uh, destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Is your treasure God in Christ Jesus? Is he your treasure this morning? Now my exhortation in closing is this. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. I try very hard to not say come to Jesus for any other reason. Uh, uh, There's a lot of reasons, but hey, come and get your life. uh, Come and receive Christ so that you have purpose in life and joy and all these things. Because most of the time I gotta be careful of that because most people come to Jesus Christ for only those reasons. What about when he gives you hardship and struggle? When he says, come and follow me, take up your cross daily and come and follow me. There's, there, it's difficult to follow Christ in this world. But listen, I'm gonna do something a little different because you hear me say that all the time, and it's true. In light of this morning's text in Ecclesiastes, in a true sense, have you come to Christ to truly understand life of meaning? To truly understand a life that goes beyond the grave? That truly means that you can live for a purpose this side of heaven that you can experience now and can point people to. Why? Because the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Church, can we do that today? Can we do that today? If you are in this room and you have made that commitment to follow after Christ, that your appetite has changed to the glory of God and the praise of his name, then let's do that together. I'll go ahead and call you guys up if you want the music team. Let's do that together as we sing. Let's respond. If you are in this room and you have not made Christ your ultimate hope, your ultimate treasure, we invite you to do so today. Come. Come. As we sing, we're going to go and stand in reverence of God uh, in the song. If we invite you to do so, but you respond in any way you want. If you want to come and sing loudly, sing loudly. Come to the altar and pray, pray. That's fine. If you want to come and talk to someone about these things, about knowing Christ in Him intimately, fully then come I'll sit down here as always and I'll and after the song I'll I'll come and speak to me this morning I invite you all to stand with us as we we respond this morning in light of this morning's sermon and this text let us read one last time I said in my heart come now I test you with pleasure enjoy yourself but behold this is also vanity I said of laughter it is mad and of pleasure what use is it I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of the growing trees. I, I, brought, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions and herds and flocks, more than any who had ever had before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became so great and surpassed all who wore before me in Jerusalem. And my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep, them, uh, keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had 
spend it in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Praise be to God. He has ransomed my soul from the pit of despair, and he has ransomed my soul from a pit of meaninglessness. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us glorify God and enjoy him forever.